and gently restoring your brother or sister pleases God because he knows you're serious about doing what he called you to do. He says, instead of pretending that a conflict doesn't exist or talking about others behind their backs, we will choose to overlook minor offenses or we will talk directly and graciously with those whose offenses seem too serious to overlook. Did you hear what he's saying? He's saying instead of making your rounds to go tell everybody else about something that somebody did something wrong to you, and going and gossiping and slandering and doing all that stuff, he's saying it's really better just to go talk to the person. Because, you know, you may not have your facts straight. And you know what I've found? Oftentimes people don't have their facts straight. By the time it gets to a third party, the fourth party, and, and on down the line, it's kind of like that game telephone. It doesn't even sound anything like the original thing. And if you really want to know what's happened, go talk to that person, and then you'll know. And then finally... Go and be reconciled. That's hard, isn't it? That's not fun. But if we're all going to grow through the process, we need to do it. Actively pursue genuine peace and reconciliation, forgiving others as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you, seeking to be mutually resolved. In our differences so what does Paul say after he mentions this problem he says rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice that seems like an odd thing to say to me in the midst of what he's already said it reads a little choppy one minute he's talking about this big problem he's he's calling them out by name he's talking about settling it getting the true companion to work it out and then all of a sudden, he just shifts gears immediately. I like what F.F. F. Bruce says about this. He says, remember, Paul dictated most of his letters. And as he's dictating, he sees in his mind's eye those whom he's addressing and speaks as if he were face-to-face -face with them. Now, think about that for a moment. Think of, think of the person that's writing all this down, and then you got Paul over here, and he's dictating it, Okay. And think of him dictating to this person as he's telling him what to write down about this situation. Let's read that again as he, as he, and think about that. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. You know what he's saying? He's saying, remember Jesus. I know you got a problem. And we're doing what we need to try to do to get you to resolve the problem. But remember Jesus. Remember this is about him. It's not about you. And you may think this is a really big problem in your mind, but remember Jesus. And remember that he's the main thing. He always keeps coming back to Jesus. You know why? he's a solution what is the biggest problem that you ever had in your life I want you to think about it for just a moment what is the biggest problem that you ever had in your life you know what it know what it is your sin problem and who solved it Jesus did 
long before you were even born, he made it possible for your biggest problem to be taken care of. And if Jesus can take care of your biggest problem, he can take care of your little problems. But you gotta, you gotta remember him. Don't let anything cut in on the joy that Jesus brings. Recognize problems, work them out. Secondly, rejoice in the Lord in every situation. In all situations, Paul says. He says, always and again I say. So how can we rejoice in a tense situation? By redirecting our focus away from us, redirecting our focus against that person that we've got something against, and returning to put it right back on Jesus where it belongs. Well, preacher, that seems pretty simple. Well, if it's so simple, how come people don't do it? Because we want our own way. That's it, isn't it, at the end of the day? You see, quietly in the background of every dispute, there's someone standing there. It's not Dr. Jekyll. It's not Mr. Hyde. It's Mr. Pride. You know what I mean? He's there. He's there in the background just waiting to be offended. And if you look real careful, you know, you'll see he's carrying something. Something he's got it hidden in here, right in here. You know what it is? A grudge. He's got his grudge in there. He keeps it tucked away for just the right moment. And as he walks around, he's daring the other person to knock something off his shoulder. Self. Self is on the throne. And what Paul is calling them to do is to be selfless rather than selfish. And so he calls them to, remind, to remember the selfless one, the Lord Jesus. And it's a, a reminder to remember that Jesus doesn't hold your sins against you. And so therefore he says don't hold someone else's sins against them. I think we talked about that a little bit in our Bible study this morning. You know... David, the future king of Israel, had every right, you know, and just when you compare apples and oranges and all the things that evil Saul had done against him, just go ahead and take him out. But he didn't do it. You know why? Because of the Lord. He recognized the Lord is in control, and he is the follower of the Lord, and so he would let the Lord deal with it. Jesus is seeking to work in and through us, his church, to accomplish his purposes. And so, therefore, we need to keep that in mind. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel powerless? Do you ever feel ineffective uh, in your life, in the things that you seek to do, or maybe uh, in the church? When relational problems are allowed to stew, it can rob you of your power. It disconnects you uh, from the vine. It disconnects you. Uh, you know, when you grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit, you can't expect God's power to flow through you the way it did before. It robs you of the power for living. I read about some slitty sickers that uh, they moved to the country and they uh, got them a little ranch and got them a little cattle. 
And they had some friends from the city that came to visit. And they said, well, what'd you call your ranch? Well, the would-be cattleman said, I wanted to name it the Bar J. My wife wanted to name it the, the Susie Q. My son liked flying W. And the other one wants the Lazy Y. So we just put all those together, and that's the name of the ranch. He said, well, where's all the cattle? He says, they didn't survive the branding. <laughs> they even robbed uh, their cattle to the power of living because they couldn't get along. When you take your eyes off the Lord, you'll lose your power. And so, therefore, we rejoice in the Lord at all times. And I think a third step to take in keeping the peace is to respond to others, especially when you're having problems with gentleness. Gentleness is the way to deal with it. Gentleness of spirit. Matter of fact, Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, why would he say that? Because it's a good witness. It's a good witness. He says, the Lord is at hand. That's important, isn't it? If you're the kind of person who recognizes problems, works together with others to deal with them, you will develop a good reputation as someone who has a gentle spirit. But when problems are ignored and they smolder, uh, they can catch fire. And you've probably seen this, haven't you? You've seen something smolder for a long time, and then finally it comes to a head, and it's like a volcano went off and just got, got hot lava all over everybody. You ever seen that? You ever seen somebody explode? And one thing led to another, and they just kept covering it over, covering it over, and then bam, there's this big old explosion. You know, I saw that take place one Christmas. I was serving a church in Georgia. We were having our annual live nativity outside. And as part of the live nativity, they had these, these four little kids that were about preschool and grade school age that were dressed up in white robes and, and white wings and little halos that attached to the top of their head. And there was this one mom who brought her little preschoolers uh, to the rehearsal. Now, they didn't go to church much, okay, but she wanted her daughter to wear that angel outfit. Well, on the night of the live nativity, the very first one, they were 45 minutes late. So before it ever started, another little kid volunteered to wear that little outfit so they'd have a full complement of angels. Well, when she arrived with her little daughter and saw that somebody else was wearing that outfit, she blew a fuse. I mean, it was a volcano that went off. And you know who it got on? The preacher. That's right. She exploded all over the preacher, and I thought, oh, my goodness, he's getting burned up. <laughs> but, you know, he never, he never raised his voice. He responded with complete gentleness and explained the situation to her. He said, you know, just a little while, when they're done with this first presentation, they're all going to come back, and we're going to get hot chocolate cookies, and then your little daughter's going to put on the outfit, and she's going to go out there and do it. Now, later, she did apologize, and she should have. But that's what happens sometimes when we act like volcanoes and reactors instead of having a gentleness of Christ in us. Paul says, the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Here's the thing to remember. If you're a Christian, 
Jesus is with you everywhere you go. You remember that, that helper I, I, I referred to earlier in our scripture reading? Jesus said, hey, I'll send you another helper. I'll send you the Holy Spirit, and he'll be with you, and my peace I give to you. And what Jesus is saying, my peace will go with you as the Holy Spirit dwells with you everywhere you go. Now think about that for just a moment. Would your life be different? Would your words be different? If everywhere you went, you recognized Jesus saw it all. And Jesus heard every word. You know how you can tell the difference between someone with great faith and someone with little or no faith? Listen to them talk. You can claim to be a Christian all day long, but if you run around and your mouth doesn't sound like it, that tells me you don't have much faith. But if you believe Jesus was listening to everything you said, you certainly wouldn't say it. Amen? Amen. Amen. And he is listening. And you know, I have to admit to you, there's some times when I have to stop and confess. Because I think a thought I shouldn't think, or I say a word I shouldn't say. And so we stop, we confess. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a Savior. Not only does he save you, give you eternal life, but he forgives you along the way as you go. And he helps pick you back up and get you going again. I love that. It's said that the, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, who was a Baptist minister in London, had a friend. His friend was Dr. Newman Hall. Dr. Newman Hall had written a book called Come to Jesus. And unfortunately, there was another pastor in town who wrote an article about Dr. Hall and just threw him under the bus and ridiculed him in the article. Now, I know that's hard to imagine that a preacher would do that, but I guess he did it anyway. Well, you know, Dr. Hall put up with it for a while. But he just kept coming back up and coming back up. So he decided he would sit down and write a letter of protest. And boy, he went over the points and that he disagreed with. And he made a case. And he put that other preacher right back in his place in the letter. Then he folded up the letter and he took it over to Spurgeon. He said, hey, I'd like for you to read this, friend, he says, before I mail it. And so Spurgeon took out the letter, opened it up, and he started reading point by point. And he kept shaking his head like this as he would read. Yes, yes, yes. He said, yes, you're exactly right. He deserves every one of those things that you said about him. Yep, you're exactly right. You're right. He said, but there's one little change I'd make. He said, right under your signature, I would put these words, author of come to Jesus. Author of come to Jesus. Well, they both looked at each other real hard. Dr. Hall grabbed that letter out of his hand and ripped it up real quick. Dr. Spurgeon was saying the same thing Paul's saying right here. Remember Jesus. Yeah, you might get offended. And you might be in the right place. But still, you need to forgive. For love covers over a multitude of sin. Amen? I am so glad that God forgives me. And he lets me go again. And helps me to get it right. And I think we ought to give every believer that same opportunity.
Father, we thank you for your word. It's just right between the eyes, right where we live. And we pray, Lord, that we'll take it to heart. And Lord, that if we do have something that we're holding against somebody, Lord, that we'll just go get it straight. Seek to get it straight. Seek to be forgiving and loving. Seek to be like Jesus. Lord, help us to remember all the time that you're with us. And might it really infect how we live our life. Things we say and things we do. Help us to be a good witness for you. And Father, might our lives and might our church glorify you in all things. Lord, we lift up to you in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I also pray for those that might not know you. Someone sitting in this room may have never had an opportunity to come and ask Jesus to be their Savior. Maybe someone watching at home. Father, I pray that they'll have the courage to step out and just trust you. To have their sins forgiven once and for all and to come to know you. We pray it in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. We stand to your feet for just a brief invitation. And you do what God tells you to do today. Would you lead us in our, our invitation? The Savior is waiting to This means hold hands across the aisles. Join together. Shepherd Jason. <laughs> there you go. Praise God, Lord.